Well, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can be here in this place today. And Lord, thank you that we can worship you freely. And Lord, as we, uh, as we look at your word uh, this morning, Lord, I pray that they will be words of life, words of truth that would permeate our hearts. And Lord, that we would fall more in love with you and more in love with your mission. And as, as Eddie was saying earlier, Lord, uh, we still want to be a church that, that reaches the lost, that seeks out those who, uh, who need to be rescued by you. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak through your word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, do take a seat. And uh, can everyone hear me at the back? You may not be able to understand my accent, but you can, uh, you can hear me, right? Okay, and um, uh, well, good morning and happy, uh, happy 4th of July. I know that sounds kind of ironic coming from an Englishman, um, but I hope you had a, a great day uh, celebrating uh, independence. And uh, contrary to popular belief, I am not Australian, okay? So I just want to put it out there. It's been uh, out there for a while that I'm Australian. I am English with a little bit of Texan thrown in there now, because uh, uh, people ask me, like, well, are you Australian? And I'm like, no, I am not Australian. And uh, I'm English, but because I think I've lived here for now six and a half years, I think a bit of Texan is starting to, you know, you know I can't actually know, I'm not even going to attempt to do it. But, uh, but anyway, but this is me. I'm, if you don't know me and you're a guest or you're watching online, uh, my name is Pastor John Hills, and uh, uh, I've, uh, I'm the worship pastor here at First Baptist uh, Church here in Mason. And uh, the main point that I want to address today, we're going to be looking at Galatian, Galatians 3, 23 through 29. And the main point I want to make today is that there is freedom in Christ and there is unity when we come to Him. And, and I really want to emphasize that point to, today that, that we are all one in Christ, and and he he wants us to be unified. So, uh, so as as we uh, as we go on, uh, let's uh, let, let's just pray again as we uh, as we as we look into into this subject of, of being unified. Uh, just a quick prayer. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you uh, that you call us to be one in you, and Lord, help us to be unified around your word and your spirit and your truth. Uh, particularly here in, in this place. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, um, a member of the congregation here, uh, who will remain nameless, and they are here today, um, decided that I needed to learn how to be a Texan. And so they got me this book, How to Be a Texan. And here's what I've learned, and here's what I want to share with all of y'all. Okay, so you see... Yeah, okay. That, that was a little bit better than my previous uh, impersonation. Okay, number one, don't mess with anyone on a Texas freeway. Number two, never call a rodeo a rodeo. Is that right? Uh, number three, never drive in Houston after 2 p.m. Number four, never drive in Houston. Uh, number five, always say howdy to anyone who says howdy to you. Number six, chicken fried steak is not cooked by large chickens. Uh, number seven, pronunciations. Here we go. This is going to be interesting. You may laugh at my pronunciations. Bob war. Uh, barbed wire. Barbed, barbed wire. 
man, man, uh, thank you, uh, means thank you. And, uh, and then the last thing that, and I've, I've experienced this, particularly in this church and, and uh, out at Fredonia where I work, is that Texans take fishing very, very seriously and do not mess with Texans and their fishing. Okay, so, uh, and hunt, hunting could be in that category as well, but, but particularly fishing. Uh, someone who is uh, fluent in uh, Texan, Keith Simpson, uh, was here last week, and he led us into the wilderness in this time of transition from our old pastor to our new pastor with a powerful word from Revelation about the type of churches uh, that, that Jesus experienced, but also um, many churches uh, which we experience today. And yes, it is a funny time that we are in as a church. I, I get that. We, we all get that. Uh, but it's also a really exciting time, a really exciting time. So my question today to, to you is, what type of church do we want to be? What type of church do we want to be? This isn't a time to take a back seat and enjoy the ride. And actually, Eddie and I and the deacons have seen many of you uh, step up and want to help. But we need to continue in that vein if we're going to reach the lost and see people being saved. Uh, theologian Wimple, William Temple said, The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. Let me repeat that. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. So what type of church do we want to be? In order to understand that question better, we need to know what struggles the early church had, and particularly the church of Galatia, to see where Christ wants to take us as a church. So if you have a copy of God's Word, either on your, on your uh, device or in front of you, a hard copy, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. I'm going to begin reading. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on like a garment. There, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed as according to the promise. So firstly, what were we as the church or what we were under the law? If, you look at, if you're looking at uh, the scripture, I'll be looking at 23 and 24 at this particular time. One of the problems of the early church was adjusting from a religious legalistic approach to a relational approach to God. So moving from religious, legalistic approach to God to a relational approach to God. And some members of the early church, they struggled with that concept. And just like uh, there are certain ways to be Texan, certain etiquette, 
um, that I'm learning as I go, uh, lifting, uh, taking off your hat uh, for, for the national anthem or for when you pray, or if someone hands you a knife, this is something I learned at, at Fredonia, someone hands you a knife, you give it back to them the way that you received it, right? Is it anyone do that? No, is it just me? So if it's open, if the knife's open, you give it back to them open. If it's closed, you, is, that, is that good etiquette? Is that good, good manners? Okay, okay. Just wanted to check. Well, there was, there was a certain um, expected etiquette with, with Jews and the, uh, early, and the proper way that Jews or even new Christians were supposed to act. But then Jesus came along and he blew it completely out of the water. And so we are excited when we think about this and think about the church or even yourselves is what is on the inside matching what's on the outside is what is on the inside matching what's on the outside so what we do here is it relevant is it important to the outside and then we think about ourselves individually is what we are presenting to the world what is actually in our hearts. And we act in a certain way. Um, and this was, a, this was a problem back in, back in Jesus' day. And he was, you know, there was a, a way to act as a righteous Jew. And what I say is that this way of acting is religion. It's religion. And we're not here to be religious. We're here to be relational, connect with people, love people, and, in, in, and, and, not, and this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul was addressing in his day. This was a problem in his day. And Keith described it well last week about one of the churches uh, that was mentioned in Revelation was like being dead or even lukewarm. And when the church hasn't embraced the grace of God or the love of God, they can be described as cold or dead. And typically churches that are cold or dead tend to be very legalistic and not willing to change in order to see new people come in. It's just for the people on the inside, not for those on the outside. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Anyone been, anyone been in a church, church where it's really not welcoming? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some nods going up and hands going up and smiles. Um, we are not a church that is going to be like that. We're going to be a welcoming church. We're going to be a church that loves people uh, no matter what. And in verse 23, it says, Before this faith came, we were confined under law, uh, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Paul describes being under the law like a prison or in bondage or, or trapped. The word actually, uh, if you look at the, the, the passage, that I'm, I mean, the version that I'm reading from is the Christian Standard Bible, which actually says confined, which actually meant to be protect by military guards. So there were those in the church, those were in the religious uh, Judaism in the, in the early, uh, early church that wanted to protect the law above anything else in order to keep everyone hemmed in, everyone cooped in, everyone in need of, of them. And so whenever I think about this, I think about my chickens. You see my chickens up there? Um, there they are, in, that's, that's in our backyard. And uh, um, I know this is a weird analogy, but just stay with me, okay? Um, just for one minute. Um, 
So the chickens, you see them on there, they're on the little ramp going up and down. Um, they are happy as long as they can lay eggs. They get their food and their water from us. Their master is in control of them, right? But what do you see on the outside of that door? There's some nice green weeds and green grass that they would love to have uh, to eat and what needs to happen in order for them to get from where they are to the green grass? The door needs to be opened. And so, to their, I guess, to their freedom. Um, and so, uh, they do come out occasionally. We do let them out occasionally. But, but the, 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 this, this door needs to be opened. And for some of us, that door is firmly closed. And Jesus is the only one. I can say all the words that I want in English or Australian or Texan. And uh, I can say all the words I want. But at some point, you've got to allow Jesus to unlock that door. And that door is your heart. And you've got to allow him in. Or you've got to, and, and, and there is freedom when we do that. And so maybe today you're in that place where actually I've said to the Lord, no, you're not going to have my heart. No, you're not going to have my life. Too much, too much stuff has happened. But when you do, there's amazing things that happen. We don't know what, always what they are, but when we say, okay, Lord, I, I let you in, then there will be... Uh, a real blessing from that. And so as we carry on, um, we see in verse 24 that it, it, the, the law was our guardian until Christ. Other names for the law in this context were a tutor or a guide. I, I want you to imagine um, you know, being trapped, being cooped up, being, being confined to this law, a little bit like a, a strict schoolmaster was keeping them in line. Or a, or a principle. Maybe some people need that. Um, but the law expresses the will of the people telling us what to do and what not to do and warnings of the consequences of disobedience. And so as we read in the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the um, law was given to Moses in Exodus. And then because they, because, and they were given to the nation of Israel, because they messed up, because uh, they were disobedient to the law, then God was like, well, I've got to keep giving, giving you different people. There were kings, there were prophets, there were judges, there were all sorts of different people that were trying to communicate the law and trying to live it out and, tell, and encouraging others to live out the law. But it was impossible. It was impossible because the nation of Israel always messed up. They always disobeyed God. And the great news is that it, the story doesn't end there. The great news is that we do not stay in prison or confined forever. And thank God that he had a plan for us through Jesus Christ to not be under the law permanently. But some Christians have never experienced, I guess, coming out of the coop, coming out of the cage, and experienced the freedom that Christ brings. We may have had like a one-time moment of salvation, but that's it. You know, maybe, maybe you struggle to, to live daily in his presence. But when we have faith, and what verse 27 says, you know, when we put on Christ like a garment, 
when we are clothed with Christ, we, the landscape changes in our lives. So then we look at what are we as Christians in Christ? What are we in Christ? Verse, if you look in verses 25 through 28, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ like a garment, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. That, that scripture starts off with, but since. So there is a change. There is a transformation. There's something that takes place. There's a change from the old to the new. There is faith that has come. There is faith that wasn't there. And there's faith that is there now. And he's saying there is a change. There is a transformation that takes place. Have you seen that change in your life? Have you seen that faith come alive in your life? And when we do come to Christ, when we do have faith, when we do see him, we see it not only does um, our status, our status change to sons and daughters, but also we receive and inherit a promise to be born into. So number one, we are, as I just mentioned, we're all sons and daughters of God. You are now... If you believe in Jesus and you have faith in him, you are now a son or a daughter of God, an heir to the king. So let that sink in for a moment. No matter what your earthly family looks like, I don't know what all of your families look like. Some of you have had great parents. Some of you have had no parents. Some of you have had somewhere in between that. Your earthly status, you don't you know, you might be unsure of, or you might be very sure of, but your heavenly status is that you are loved as a son and daughter of the king, not just of this building, but of the whole universe. And so let that, let that be a promise that you receive today. And, and then secondly, that we are all one in Christ. And this is kind of the main meat of my, my text today. Is, um, and there's going to be three things that we're going to look at, um, particularly if you want to just look at verse 28. And this is a key verse in this passage. That there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or free, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So firstly... There is no distinction of race. There is no Jew or Greek. And this is an important subject, particularly in the climate that we're living in right now. Jancy and I have uh, friends from all over the world, different nations, language, race, and ethnicity. And we love them dearly as brothers and sisters. Why? Well, we value their heritage and their skin color, but also, importantly, we value the character of their heart. Ruby's godmother, let's, let's start with that. She's from Zimbabwe. She is black. Henry's godmother from Kenya. She's a part of a Maasai tribe. She is also black. I spent, I spent a lot of time with Christians in Hong Kong uh, who are Asian and India. 
And there are so many others uh, here and afar. And where they come from and their color of their skin is important. And I respect their heritage. But I also see past that, beyond that, into what is their eternal home and what is my eternal home. And what matters to me and to, is, is every person in this room and every person online is the condition of our hearts. What is going on on the inside? And where do you stand before Jesus? Where do you stand before Jesus? And so those people that I mentioned, um, uh, Rebecca and Madiwa are their names, uh, the godparents, what do they have in common with us? Is that they love Jesus and they love our family. And that is important to me. And I can't wait for heaven because we're going to be shocked by how many different types of people and nations worship Jesus, and different languages. It's not going to be in English. Jesus didn't even speak English. So, I mean, it, uh, you, I think, well, does Jesus understand my prayers? You know, of course he does. But, um, you know, but I mean, maybe not my accent. Uh, but so, so get used to it, folks. The kingdom of God is much bigger than our minds can ever comprehend. God called Abraham and his descendants the Jewish race in order to entrust them to his unique self-revelation. But when Christ came, God's promise was fulfilled that in Abraham's seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. This includes the nations of every race, every color, every language. We are equal, equal in our need of salvation, equal in our inability to earn or deserve it, and equal in the fact that God offers it to us freely in Christ. And once we have received it, our equality is transformed into fellowship, the brotherhood or sisterhood that only Christ can create. Number two, there is no distinction of the sexes. There is neither male nor female. Now, I'm not talking about, this is a different, so I'm not talking about roles within the church. I'm talking about when you come to Jesus Christ, there is no distinction between male or female. Because you are a son or a daughter. That is what I'm saying. I'm not saying like pastors and leaders and all that kind of stuff. But just hear me. But this, this what we see here, this remarkable assertion of the equality of the sexes was made centuries in advance of its times. Women uh, in biblical times were nearly always despised in the ancient world, even in Judaism. And they were not infrequently exploited and ill-treated as well. But here the assertion is made that in Christ, male and female are one and equal. And it's made by the Apostle Paul, who believe, uh, many people believe that Paul was uh, anti-feminist. Uh, but remember, women were the last at the cross, and they were the first at the tomb. Because women tend to catch on a little bit quicker than us guys. Is that correct? Or is it, um, am I just, it's just that happens to be in, in, our, in our relationship. But I believe that when women get together and they pray, they are the engine room for the church. We have faithful women praying, that have been praying in this church for many years. We have the faith class, faithfully praying. We've got Carla back there, our prayer warrior, leading the intercessory team. And there's many others that throughout the years, throughout the decades, have women that have stepped up and, and being, just been there. And behind any successful church or a live church, 
has been faithful women praying for the church, teaching in the church, or providing needs for the church. So thank God for women. Thank God for women. But men, we also have a significant role to play. And I am so glad to be part of a church that has so many men involved in, in this church. But there's still room for more. There's, still, there's always room for more women. There's always room for more men. But behind any successful church is when men make Jesus the most important person in their life and that they want to serve him radically. Let me repeat that. Behind any successful church is when men make Jesus the most important person in their life and they want to serve him radically. If you're a man and you're standing on the sideline waiting to be involved, here is my invitation to all of y'all. Okay? This, you are invited men to love God and love people. And I, I urge you and, and just please accept that invitation today. Because we need you. And if you do accept it, then do something about it. Don't take forever to, oh, I've got this, this, and this that I need to do. And got this. We all have stuff to do. You know, we've all got stuff to do. But God wants us to get involved. Whether that's in the block party, teaching our children and young people, serving in our seekers ministry, encouraging others at life connection groups, getting on the prayer chain, Helping at women's events, men's events, whatever, starting men's events, whatever it is, get involved. And the fact is, is that we, both men and women, we are one in Christ. And we all have a significant role to play. And don't let anyone ever tell you that you do not have a significant role to play in the church because you do. And lastly, three, uh, there is no distinction of socioeconomic status. It says in verse 28 that there is neither slave nor free. Nearly every society in the history of the world has developed its class system. Circumstances or birth, wealth, privilege, and education have divided men and women from one another. But in Christ, snobbery is prohibited and uh, distinctions are gone. That means that anyone... Anyone can come to Jesus, whether you have nothing or everything the world has to offer. Again, Jesus is interested in your heart, not in your bank account or how many degrees you have or how many homes you own or don't own. Jesus wants you. And he is enough to supply for all your needs. Now, with these three groups, the race, the sexes, the socioeconomic status... There's got to be a word of caution that is added to this. The great theologian John Stott says about uh, verse 28, because there is now no distinction, does not mean that racial, social, and gender distinctions are actually obliterated. Christians are not literally colorblind, so that they do not notice whether a person's skin is black, brown, yellow, or white. Nor are they unaware of the cultural or educational background from which people come. Nor do they ignore a person's gender, treating a woman as if she were a man, or a man as if he were a woman. Of course, every person bring, belongs to a certain race and nation that has been nurtured in a particular culture, and they're either male or female. 
When we say that Christ has abolished these distinctions, can we get that slide back up, um, Michaela? Just the one, the previous one before the, with the three distinctions. Thank you. We're, when we say that he's abolished these three distinctions, we're not, we're not saying that they don't exist. We're just saying, well, when we come to Christ, that they don't matter. They're still there, but they no longer should create barriers for fellowship. We recognize each other as equals, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so lastly, there is freedom and unity in Christ. Then comes the promise in verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. If we follow after Jesus, if you love his bride, the church, the people, no matter what they look like, no matter what gender they are, no matter how much money they have or they don't have, that will lead to unity because what unifies us is Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not, take a look around. Look around at the people. Just, just, do it. just turn around, turn around, have a look, have a look. You don't have to touch them or breathe in their airspace. Okay, just look at them. And for those of you who have believed and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, they are now your family. You can choose your friends, but not your family, right? And uh, get used to them. You're going to spend eternity with them. Maybe there's some people you might not want to spend eternity with. Well, whatever. But, but you can't choose it because they've chosen Jesus. And even if they really annoy you or even if they've got really different tastes to you or different styles or different ways of saying things or different ways of doing things, they're still your family, right? We've all got that family member that is kind of annoying, kind of, oh, we've got to go see them again. Yeah. And so, but that's part of being... being but if you aren't a part of God's family, you're missing out. You're really missing out. And I hope, and, and a, a phrase that's going around today is called FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. I hope your fear of missing out is really high right now because Jesus doesn't want any of you to miss out on his wonderful promises that he has for you and his kingdom that is at hand for you, your spouse, or your children. And the only thing you will receive if you reject Jesus and his family is hell and death. That's the only thing, that's the only promise you've got is hell and death. And I don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen to you or your family. So the first step you have to do is choose Jesus. If you want to receive him and accept the promise over your life, believe in Jesus today. What greater weekend than the 4th of July to move from independence in yourself to dependence in Him? Freedom is available today. And the second step is that you have to choose to belong to a faith family. Now, I hope that's here. But if that's not here, then make sure you get plugged in to a faith family somewhere. Wherever you are, maybe if you're online, if you're listening, watching... Wherever you're at, get involved in a faith family. And this is the point of what the Apostle Paul is trying to make. When he says that you are in Christ, he doesn't mean that you've just changed your spiritual state, you know, when we're baptized and all that. 
it doesn't mean that you just change your, your, your inner experience. For Paul, when we are in Christ, that means that you belong to a community of believers, a royal family, excuse the Englishness uh, slipped in there, uh, but was of utmost importance. And this comes through baptism. Baptism is the doorway through which one passes into the single family God promised to Abraham. There is something about being public with your faith, whether that is deciding to join our faith family here, being baptized, or it may even just be praying out loud for the first time. God doesn't want us to stand still. He always is moving us towards maturity in Him. And uh, Keith even mentioned it last week about sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So lastly, if, uh, so we've had two groups of people. One, if you need to choose Christ, then do that. Two, if you need to become a member of a faith family or choose a faith family, then do that. And lastly, the third group are those that have been a member here for a while or a Christian for a while. Here's my questions to you. What are you doing to reach the lost? Encourage new believers. Encourage people into discipleship and fellowship. And particularly pursuing unity in our church so that we, we may be an effective witness to a broken and dying world. What are we doing? What are we doing? Are we happy just being comfortable in our comfort zone? Or is God calling us each individually to more? Or, or corporately as a community to more? I know where I want to be, on what side I want to be. I want to be in the, let's do more, Lord. But are you there as well? Does God need to permeate your heart? Call you forward? Encourage you more to do more for his kingdom? Because... That's where we're going to spend eternity, doing things of eternal significance. And I know it's hard, and I know that we resist against it because we have all this other stuff, all this earthly stuff that we want to do as well. But Jesus is calling us on and wanting us to, to know him. And so I invite you today to get involved in the mission of God and to pursue unity in him. Let's stand together. So let's pray. Lord, there's so much in our world that is broken and wrong. And sin is sin is rampant. But Lord, so is your love and your church. And so Father, I just uh, pray that you would pour out your love on us right now. And that Holy Spirit, if there's something that has spoken to, uh, to us today, I pray you'd speak now. And I pray that we'd ask that question what are you saying, Holy Spirit, today? Whether that's to choose Jesus, 
whether that's to choose a faith family to belong to, or whether that's choosing to get involved in the mission of God. Whatever it may be, I just pray that we wouldn't just sit on it, but Lord, that we would do something about it. So speak to our hearts right now as we, as we sing this song. I'm going to be at the front, and if you want to come and pray, or come and just kneel, whatever you want to do, or you want to be in your kneel where you're at, let's respond to him.